Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So let us begin. Unfortunately, Mayor Mokshai's uh, schedule is a bit complicated, un unfortunately, as I recall. If you wish to continue breathing, I advise you to weigh your next words carefully. So the episode starts off where 88 is giving an overview of the areas of Mos Espa uh, and of Tatooine that are divided up amongst the different families of gangs. Uh, Bib Fortuna had an arrangement with the mayor that allowed him to do this because he wasn't quite as powerful as Jabba. Uh, a watermonger comes in to talk to Boba, tells him he was robbed and that people just in general aren't respecting Boba and that he needs to exert his influence and make people respect him a little bit more. And so Boba goes into town uh, to confront the youths who uh, stole the water and he learns that they don't have any money because there's no jobs and the watermonger has been gouging them. And so he just gives the watermonger some money and then offers them a job to ensure that they're able to have kind of uh, a living wage. And so he recruits a, a gang of youths. Uh, we flash back to Boba in his back to tank. Uh, he has a memory of Django Fett leaving Camino. Uh, as well as flashing to Boba leaving the Tuscans, uh, so leaving them to go collect payment from the Pikes. Uh, when he goes to see the Pikes, uh, he sees that there are uh, the Stormtrooper helmets on spikes uh, in Tatooine that we saw in The Mandalorian. We see Pelimato as well, so it was showing that, okay, Boba has been with uh, the Tuscans for probably a few years at this point already, uh, just based on assuming it around the same time as the Mandalorian. He hears from the Pikes that the, the Nikto gang has also taken the payment for protection and that he's only willing to pay one of them and then he needs to sort it out himself. So Boba returns to the Tuscans to find that the Tuscans have all been slaughtered like animals. Uh, he is uh, he burns their bodies and then is awakened from his slumber by being pulled out of his back to tank by Black or Santin. Uh, they get into a huge fist fight and brawl where Boba's kind of naked and covered in water. Uh, he get, he's almost has his back broken when his youth gang comes in to rescue him. They get a Black or Santin trapped in the Rancor pit uh, to uh, get everybody to safety. Uh, the twins show up who had sent Black or Santin. They say, you can keep Black or Santin as kind of our tribute. And we've also brought you a gift uh, and a little bit of knowledge. We're not going to try and claim Tatooine. Uh, the mayor has promised that to the Pikes. You also should leave. Uh, but here's a rancor for all the troubles. Yeah. Uh, the rancor the rancor comes with a rancor keeper played by Danny Trejo, which yeah. is amazing. It is. Uh, and so uh, Boba sets Black or Santin free because he doesn't need him. Uh, and he's fascinated by his new Rancor pet. Uh, he wants to learn to ride it. And he learns about how it's gentle. Uh, he goes into town to go see the mayor and confront him. Uh, the major domo uh, locks him out of his office and tries to run away. Uh, they get into a very Back to the Future like speeder chase. I thought the same uh, where... thing, by the way, specifically Back to the Future Part 2. This feels like very, well, <laughs> something very familiar about this. So says old Biff. Oh, absolutely. It is your classic every trope uh, in the book, speeder chase or car chase through town. Uh, and at the end, crashing into a fruit stand, uh, the major domo reveals that indeed the mayor is working with the Pikes. Uh, and then one of the gang of uh, members of Boba reports back to him that the Pikes have arrived. And so shit is going to hit the fan. And that is how chapter three of the book of Boba Fett went. It's also heavily implied when Boba dismisses himself from the Rancor pit that perhaps this uh, Rancor Wrangler, played by Danny Trejo, can't be trusted. And like, I, I, it would seem that the gift from the Huts was like a solid 
diplomatic move on their part. Um, although you really can't trust anybody. Um, uh, Boba excuses himself. And then the Wrangler says to the, the Rancor, um, he'll be back. Or he's like, don't worry, he'll be back. And there's just something kind of sinister about that. Like the entire time Boba was, was very playfully and almost um, endearingly like loving himself up to this rancor and like he was really excited to have what's essentially a puppy in his eyes I was very mm. nervous that it was going to attack and I, I'm still not sure that's not going to happen I don't think it is um, I could be wrong but I think you misread that one I don't I don't think that there was uh, I think that's just Danny Trejo being Danny Trejo <laughs> and it just came across as a little sinister uh, I do indeed believe that he is going to ride it yeah. Uh, that was a rumor. Uh, it was the very first rumor I heard about this show was that Boba rides a Rancor. And so he says he wants to do it. I think we're going to see Boba riding a Rancor. And I think that they're going to, I think it's going to be like his pet dog. And I think this is another angle of, okay, seeing something that we've seen before, but in a new light. Right. So is it, isn't like they're a, lovable. A, there's a tradition of, of Boba Fett riding some ungodly beast. I think it goes back to the Christmas special absolutely yeah. does and to the great mythosaur right that, the mythosaur. Uh, and that's referenced in the pilot of the mandalorian as well and so they're able to really make these great connections uh to the lore of boba fett when he says i've i've ridden i've ridden beasts 10 times its size uh that's one of my like i only had a couple lines from the episode but i think that's one of the best ones because it's a great harken back to what the original bit of Boba Fett that so much of this is based off of because all the little uh, tie-ins to the holiday special, they've just been checking those boxes. It is a pitch perfect use of Danny Trejo in Star Wars. And we absolutely I, it was not out of the question he was going to turn up at some point because of the Rodriguez of it all. Um, and this is exactly what, what he should be used for in this galaxy. Yeah, no, it was perfect casting. Uh, he doesn't take away from it. He adds to it. It's a little bit of humor, uh, which is appropriate. And so you're going to get a chuckle just seeing him arrive. I thought it was uh, an interesting sequence with the huts mm -hmm. in general, just in terms of like the gift kind of makes sense, but their appearance in this entire show doesn't unless their story isn't over. Well, that's what I thought, too. I was like, and that's why I kind of hope that they're not being totally sincere in this gesture, because mm. it's really lame if they just have two short spots, one where they're antagonistic, and then they try and kill him with the Wookiee, and then immediately they're like, never mind, we're cool, and then we just never see them again. That seems really, uh, really empty. That absolutely seems really empty, and it seems really shoehorned just to give us a hut yeah which is really dumb because there's going to be plenty of opportunities to give us huts and these this concept of huts is cool this twins concept and so i think it will it will be a misuse if they're not uh coming back however it also could be something that maybe they're the villains in season two Yep. And it's something that they're trying to set it up for the long run i do believe there will be multiple seasons of this show and so that is something that uh, would make sense if they plant planted a few Easter eggs similar to the way that uh, like Bill Burr's character was planted in season uh, one. Now, Danny Trejo is not the only exciting actor to turn up in this episode. Uh, it opens with, you referred to him as the, the watermonger, uh, played by Stephen Root, who is amazing on Barry. Um, perhaps his most famous role is as the, the creepy Office guy space, with, the, right? with the red stapler in Office Space. 
He's like an amazing actor. I I kind of think it's a it's a wasted opportunity to have him be like a little bit more impactful. Like he just has two quick scenes and he just kind of runs away with his tail tucked between his legs. Like maybe now he has a reason to hate Boba and that could come back, but he doesn't seem to have any kind of influence in this community and so I'd be surprised if they had a great use for Steven Root again, which having seen him and gotten excited to see him, I'm a little disappointed. What else could he be? I mean, he could maybe be like a, I don't, I couldn't see that him being a heroic character uh, or being, I could see someone, I could see him being like the major Domo, for example, like replacing the, uh, David Pesquesi or whatever his name is. Um, yeah. Like it, he seems like a poor fit in the galaxy far, far away for some reason. Uh, and so he does. I, don't, I don't know. I could, I could see him maybe filling a similar uh, sniveling sort of role that way that could have had longer uh, implications than just this random watermonger. Well, that's my, we that's my point. Is that Titus we, Welliver, so. Yeah. Well, that would have been, I, I just think that like, even though he, he's like a character actor and in fact, maybe expressly because he's a character actor, he actually slots into a lot of different things. And I'm not saying there's a problem with him playing a watermonger. I'm just kind of disappointed that this watermonger doesn't look like he's going to have a reason to come back in the show. And I, I like the actor. I think he's I think he's diverse. Mm. Yeah, no, it, that's true. This character definitely doesn't seem to have legs. But that's like I was like saying with Titus Welliver. And I, there's going to be a lot of people uh, in Jodie Comer mm. uh, that well, Jodie Comer is an interesting one because you still do have a, a small time period in which if you're going to cast something and do something about Ray's parents. Boom, you already have an, uh, an extremely good actress. But you got to do bag. it now. But it, exactly. But yeah. this is one of those examples. Uh, yeah, she's younger yeah, than me. Like she like she is like a surprisingly like youthful person. She they could hmm. they have some time. They do have some time. That's true. But then even when you still you look at uh, Joel Edgerton and, and whatnot. And so there's there's always uh, options to use people down the line. But sometimes it's too small of a character for it to make any sense. And I think this might be one of those. The other notable face in this episode is a, an actor, an actress named uh, Sophie Thatcher, who's having like a pretty good time right now as a newly famous person. Cause she's in the show, yellow jackets. She plays young, oh, wow. young Juliette Lewis. And she's like the leader of this street gang, which I'm sorry. They were just two power Rangers for me. They're like multicolored speeder bikes. The fact that like they they all have like a different tool for like chasing down and like stalling the enemy. It just it, it didn't feel cool to me. It felt lame. Oh, it felt extremely. Let's pluck something out of the entertainment district of Coruscant. Yeah. And put it in back alley Mos Espa Tatooine. And that doesn't work at all. Right. It, it, it was Star Wars-y. You're absolutely, I think the third person I've heard today refer to them as the Power Rangers, which is amazing. Oh, right. Well, there um, you go. It's the colors. It's the colors. They're so spot on and they're so shiny uh, and metallic-y and they're supposed to be poor. Right. Uh, I heard somebody mention that as a great example. They've all like, got Ducatis. Yeah. It's yeah, the fancy little mopeds. Uh, and they've all also get like, what's his face even says, I paid a lot for it. Right. He talks about his his eye thing at the end. So, oh, you're paying a lot for your fancy eye, but you're not paying for water. But you can't get a it's job. Like you've, yeah, you need to get your priorities right, dummy. <laughs> um, but then again, this is Boba 
showing like he's taking on his family, which the, the episode should have had family of some capacity in the title. Uh, because I think these like youths are going to take on a bit of a, like, I think he's building his crew and he's building his family and Fennec calls it a family. And like, we're using the, the mafiosa term of family, right. But this has been all about like Boba building connections in the same way they did with the Tuscans, uh, building connections with uh, like Fennec and uh, wanting to like the, the Gamorrean guards and allowing them to be like showing a willingness to bring people in as opposed to being a lone gunman, a singular bounty hunter. Uh, and so I think that there's a chance that this, uh, sorry, what'd you say the actress's name was Sophie Thatcher, Sophie Thatcher. Yep. Sophie Thatcher. Uh, for example, uh, I thought there was a chance she could have been Boba's daughter from the, uh, commercials based on Boba's daughter and legends. Right. But what I think they're likely doing is they're going to make her kind of the metaphorical daughter of Boba. And that these will be his metaphorical children of his crime family. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how they're going to fit it in. And you'll start to see that he'll take on fatherly characteristics with them and he'll continue to grow and be more family focused because he never had that. That was the thing that was taken away from him. And I think that in by consistently going back to showing Django leaving and the longing that he has for his father, yeah. uh, it just make, and the especially the relationships that he built with the Tuscans just makes too much sense that the family he's building matters more to him about being a family than being necessarily a gang the way Fennec sees the term family. And I totally so it, agree. That's kind of interesting. I agree with everything you just said, except for that I don't think we need to flush out that family so quickly by bringing in this entire street gang, bring in Sophie Thatcher, maybe next episode, the other boys decide, I don't want to work with this guy anymore. And then he has one more person in his family and we can slow build that over the course of the series. She's a good actor. The rest of them, I got nothing from even the guy with the mechanical eye. Like I'm not, I'm not charmed by this group and I didn't really find the chase scene compelling like you said it's very Mm. it's very cliche um it's also anticlimactic because when they do finally uh catch up to major domo all he does is like answer a question he's like oh here's where the mayor went so it wasn't that we knew which we knew so it wasn't really all that exciting um and then the other thing that kind of bothers me this is kind of pivoting to another part of the episode but another thing that bothers me about that gang is that the whole thing with uh chris anton just doesn't track with me that like we spent the whole uh, uh, original trilogy hearing about how Chewbacca could tear off your arms if he wanted to. Here's a Wookiee who's twice his size and twice his amount of angry and he gets taken down by some teenagers and like even Boba who is a tough guy he should have been squashed like a bug in no time in that fight no? Uh, No he's slowly crushing him uh, and so he's a couple seconds away from killing Boba. And I think it's, it's I think it's five or against one or six against one. But they're and just so, dumb kids. And I guess they do stab him at one point. They stab him and like electroshock him, I believe. Like it's and then the Gamorians come. And so it's then like seven against one. Like, and he still is holding his own. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't know. I think uh, 
I think that one is okay. It needed to be as many of them as it was, and they needed to have these mechanical enhancements for me to be okay with it. If it was just dumb kids, like fist fighting them, I would agree. But the fact that they have these weird cybernetics and the fact that it's Boba Fett and Gamorrean guards, uh, it, it worked for me in, in that regard. And look, we're trying to build out the Boba family. Why do we let Chrysanthemum walk off into the into the desert when he could be brought into that fold? They don't have a beef this, anymore. He should hang around. This is, this is something a lot of people have brought up. And I think the interesting answer, or the, the likely answer is that they just didn't want him around. Or maybe Dave Filoni was thinking a few steps ahead and stepped in. And so this is what I'm I'm assuming is uh, Trandoshans and Wookiees do not get along at all. Trandoshans, uh, they're like Bosk, the, they're the, the lizard-like species. Yeah. And Trandoshans own one of, like one third of Mos Espa. And so Boba knows he needs to work with the Trandoshans. He cannot do anything without the Trandoshans at this point. Mm-hmm. He's worked closely with Bosk in the past. He's got a great relationship with Trandoshans. Trandoshans, it is a rite of passage to kill a Wookiee. He is brought a Wookiee pelt by a Trandoshan uh, in one of the earlier episodes of this series. If he knows he's working with Trandoshans, he cannot have a Wookiee on his team. That is the only logic I can see behind it, and that maybe Dave Filoni brought that up if like, if that was like kind of kind of pitched as a concept. We're like, oh well, we're gonna have him work with the Trandoshans later on, so it wouldn't be great to have a Wookiee around, <laughs> especially Chrysanthemum. He'd be like the biggest prize in all Trandoshans, and so it. And that's true. Black Chrysanthemum would be the biggest prize you could possibly imagine. Yes, and that would so, be the big fish on your wall for sure. Yeah, and so that kind of pelts. I don't think he. And the way he kind of runs away, I don't think he'd want to be hanging around working for Boba. I guess. Uh, but then again, Boba does provide him with that little um, uh, take it from an ex bounty hunter. Don't work for Scug Holes. Um, right. So that was kind of a yeah. I thought that was. Uh, I think he uses Scug Hole in the Mandalorian as well. Um, and so I th- that is clearly one of Boba's favorite. Uh, curses in the galaxy far far away and frankly we need to add a few more curses to the star wars lexicon because they reuse the same ones over and over again and sometimes they're overused carabast is not used enough it's only been used uh it was used in rogue one and it was used frequently in rebels but that's one that's underused dank Farrick is the heavy favorite yes. uh, of this era and uh yeah, Dank Ferric definitely seen it. And, and Dank on its own is getting its uh, a bit of use case too. So uh, pretty minimal flashback this episode, definitely the least of the series so far. Although what they did flashback to was obviously effective. Amazing that I can like be moved by the death of a bunch of sand people considering when that's happened in the past in Star Wars. Mm. Um and and Boba is quite stoic about it, but I, I for some reason didn't really see that coming. I didn't. I, was it the Pikes that that wiped them out? No. So it was the Nikto gang. It was the gang that he beat up in Tashi Station. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they had been paying kind of like they had been getting the protection money for the area, and so now that the Tuscans wanted it, they decided that okay, no more Tuscans, uh, and. Yeah, that one was a really interesting sequence to be able to kind of see Boba having uh, having to be stoic and 
having such loss mm. and it, it just building on top of all of the loss that he previously had. And it just, it continues to make sense as to why he doesn't want to kill people as much. Boba Fett kills everybody. Yeah, he used to. And exactly. And he doesn't really anymore. Right. It's not so much in his DNA. And so this is another thing that makes sense as to why he's changed and also provides such a great, uh, like, comparison against the moment from attack of the clones and like slaughtered them like animals they are animals i hate them the, not just the men but the women and the children well interestingly who were boba's biggest relationships with it was that the the main warrior who was a woman mm -hmm. and the little kid and so not just the men but the women and the children and so those were the ones that mattered the most to boba in, in the slaughtering as well and it just it, it was it was it was a good gut wrenching scene for, like you said, being a bit of a surprise. Whereas other people weren't surprised. I certainly was too. And it also really helps you recontextualize that famous Anakin scene, which obviously we laugh at because of the acting and because of the dialogue and and hating sand and everything. And but also, I don't know that most of us uh, went fully in the opposite direction of Anakin. Like we did agree that they're animals, and well, they. Uh, kidnapped his mother and ultimately killed her. And so I guess I get that he hates them. But this is really showing us that actually Anakin hated them, maybe for that, but also because he was so full of hate and he really just grew to hate everyone and everything. They're not animals. They're like living in their mm -hmm. own way, civil things that have values. And they were kind of capable of like affection and they could be... Uh, loved in return and so this is really truly the opposite of that sequence that has the same carnage in it yeah and now it, it definitely does need to be said that they are a, a different group of tuscans because sure. Shmi was was tortured for yes. sure uh but that's the story that I, that's a story that would be really interesting to have additional context behind mm -hmm. like what was it that they thought like Shmi was doing wrong. Uh, maybe it was in like, I don't know, maybe the Lars homestead is in a particular area um, that like the great shot salt flat, like maybe that is yeah, why uh, did they want like, her indigenous so land. Yeah. And like, and like in particular, it was something that like, Oh, picking mushrooms off the evaporator. That is, those are sacred mushrooms. And I don't know. I'm, I'm just throwing, since you sticks. brought up vapor on Tatooine, uh, this is sort of a good segue, but I think the most compelling and striking thing in this entire episode was just thrown away in the opening sequence, and Steven Root says it. He's just like making casual chit-chat with Boba Fett in their first meeting, and he says something to the effect of, a long, long time ago, water covered all of Tatooine. And, yes. I, and I was like, what the hell are you talking about, man? I'm going to need a little bit more information about that. Yes. Tatooine was once covered by water. Uh, so the Dune Sea um, was, uh, the Dune Sea was indeed uh, a sea. Okay. Uh, and, and that this, this land that when it dried, uh, that's when the Tuscans kind of moved into the area. I don't know a whole lot about uh, the history as to, why it dried up um there's a story there like that that yeah, is like I mean, that is a great like the, nature the versus God, yeah the two sons exactly that's like almost a story about the gods if you want to tell like a 
like a truly prehistoric Star Wars story. Talk to us uh, about when the the two sons caused the uh, evaporation of Tatooine and brought in the Tuscans and all of these other strange creatures had to start wearing hoods and like maybe maybe uh, Jawas are actually innately water based and that's why they have to wear these little robes or something. I don't know. There's something really interesting there about the like terrainal history of that planet that's so iconically dry and arid. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I wonder if there is, I'm sure there is some good Legends material on that. One thing that I do love is Vader Immortal, though, and that's the VR video game. It does a very similar story to that, but about Mustafar and showing that Mustafar used to be a lush planet full of life and that it it returns. It's it's starting to return to that by the time of the Rise of Skywalker when Kylo's in the forest cutting down trees and cutting down the, the Alzamex. But when you have... Uh, like it, that story in particular is about uh, kind of like a little bit force gaudy and in that regard and like hexes and, and planets going into it, it, it's it's mystical it's, it's mortis it's it's mortis like yes it, it very much uh plays in the the mysticism of the force uh and it, it is a very cool uh like story before time sort of thing uh, very much feels like the entire um, tale is that entry to the Fellowship of the Ring, that mm. incredible introduction where they talk about the forging of the rings right. and Sauron and whatnot. It, it, the Vader Immortal game is kind of like, like that throughout, which is really cool. And it, it explores Mustafar in that way. So you're right. I think it would be really cool to do that way in Tatooine. And like, imagine, just, just fucking imagine we're watching some inc- like old, rep- like old, old start of the like fr- the first Jedi movie. Yeah, and it's taking place in a water planet. This yeah. entire movie, and then the last like m- like scene of the film, they mention something about being in Mos Eisley. I know, and just like the like everybody would lose their goddamn mind. Well, not now because we're hot on the trail. But yes, like that we would be- are, but nobody else would be. <laughs> You and I and the 16 of us who listen to this podcast. There you go. <laughs> uh, but that would be something actually now. Now I want that. Now I want in the very like in our oldest Star Wars story we ever find. I want a, a water planet that the, one of the last little fun fan service twists has been Tatooine. That or, would be or a actually, crazy one. Uh, and huts are not native to Tatooine. Or are no. they? I was going to say because they kind of look water based too in their particular biology i wonder like is there any precedent for that do they no but there are a lot of reptiles on tatooine yeah and reptiles exist in in deserts as well but they also exist obviously in in wet climates and Mm -hmm. so when you look at like the crate dragon um who's just like it swims through like sand but who's to say it didn't swim through the ocean previously frig this is exciting me i like i it when he said that i was just like i was kind of floored it had never occurred to me and suddenly i the mystery of tatooine just got blown wide open and so i was quite well by you, that. you putting such emphasis emphasis on it really has gotten me excited as well i yeah. didn't really think about it as being i guess so ripe for 
potential story and intrigue but yeah it absolutely is so there's nothing more no, that, star wars than tatooine so like let's no, ex let's true. expand on that now having said all that a, a completely different opinion i had about this episode and the series thus far in general is that it's starting to feel a little small so we briefly had a flashback to camino uh, and boba's the little boy and he sees his dad fly off in slave one and it occurred to me then for the first time, we haven't seen Slave One enough uh, in this show, which seems odd. And the entire series so far, and I guess this is deliberate, is taking place on Tatooine. And so it doesn't feel that much like a Star Wars story to me for that reason. And I don't know if it's a budgetary thing or if they just, they want to keep it interior. It it feels small potatoes in, in many cases to me. The story doesn't make sense to leave Tatooine. No. Uh, now, in terms of telling Boba's entire story, it does make sense to flash back. And I, I was very confident by everything that Tamora Morrison was saying that we would be getting some flashbacks between, like, taking place during Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. I in wish we would. Those timelines. Yeah. And we we still may. And so under those circumstances, it may not take place in Tatooine. And we are getting these brief shots of Camino, and we got one of like Geonosis before, but that's we, we're not going to have 10-year-old Boba back. So it'll be fully like flight suit Empire Strikes Back looking Boba that, that we might have. And, and that's fine, and that can totally work. And season two, I could see him leaving Tatooine, but he is the daimyo of... Mos Espa. Right. And so it, or Tatooine, I don't know whether that's. I don't know what the boundaries yeah, I, of that are. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it would, it wouldn't make sense to leave Tatooine at this point. And so as much as I agree, it's making the show feel small and making it feel not as Star Warsy because that is such an inherent part of Star Wars to planet hop. I think they're doing their best by yeah. not trying to shoehorn planets in that don't make sense. Um, but then again, the flashback story needs to pick up. I absolutely do not want any more than one more episode to get to uh, modern day. I do not want it to take all seven episodes of flashbacks to get to modern day where no. boba is now in the timeline that doesn't make sense there's not that much left to tell no you've given me every bit of his motivation uh we're three episodes in these next four episodes let's let's move on from this storyline you've completely wrapped it up with a bow uh it was excellent but i agree and this is a this provides a good opportunity to maybe Maybe wet that whistle a little better. Well, and it's the book of Boba Fett. So there's an entire other era of him that you can share with us. And we, we don't have, you know, access to the actor who played little boy Boba 20 years ago in the same way. But I don't know, recast him as like a 22 year old and um, or just, you know, have a, have a skinny guy in the suit again. But like, yeah. I, I it can be blue at first, you know, like that would be really fucking cool if like if he was boba in Django's blue suit for a little while and then it, it doesn't work with the clone wars the way that they would do that they wouldn't do that um because it, but they could do a flashback too they could bring back the the duel when he because when he started wearing the uniform and took over like he got a paint job kind of all, all in one go 
um, when he was able to fit into the suit. Finally, he right. got it all kind of painted up. And he also blew up one of the helmets, um, oh, whether it was a fake helmet or not. He put a bomb inside it and baited Mace Windu to try to kill him. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a Clone Wars arc. That's, that's quite cool. Um, but that's also where it's debated like, oh, that was your father's armor. Okay. So did you have a fake helmet that you like kind of baited Mace Windu with, which I yeah. guess kind of, and it's Mandalorian armor too. Like it shouldn't be easily destructible. Well, a bomb can blow it up for sure. But I then guess. again, a, a giant blast didn't blow up, uh, Din's spear from the giant explosion that dr- blew up the that's razor true. crest. Yeah. And so, uh, it's likely a Beskar, Beskar alloy, whereas Din's armor is probably pure sure. Beskar. Right. Because uh, Boba's has like dents and nicks in it, whereas Din's is pretty perfect still. So that also adds a little bit to Boba. It's just cause Boba, like Din is, Din gets shot constantly, whereas Boba can't take quite as many shots as, as Din can because Din's got super armor, whereas Boba's just got this rinky old alloyed armor from his dad that he's had to reforge and repaint. But it it would be cool. You're right. We yeah. could go right to when it was just freshly painted for the first time. No dent. Uh, and you could do the arc, the Cad Bane arc, uh, where he gets the dent uh, in a duel. Well, there's just there's uh, more parts of action. his more parts of his story to tell than just the time you know that we've seen thus far. Especially if they're going to do more seasons of this show, you're going to have to find new eras of this guy to paint the background more thoroughly and so i i hope i agree with you i hope that they move on to a different sector of that as soon as possible those are all my thoughts about this episode did you want to share any of your favorite quotes or anything i didn't really have too many quotes that i wrote down i um the the rest of you gather up your gack and follow me i thought that was kind of funny right Uh, other than that we've kind of talked about the the bits of dialogue that i enjoyed and it, it, and that's one thing with the show. The the dialogue is minimal. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of Fennec's dialogue, but she doesn't say much either. She doesn't do uh, much. No. She's just there. She's a really good right hand. She's, she's and, good and at there being a lot. there. And she, and she is very aggressive sometimes. Like, it, even to the extent that Boba finds it to be a little bit much. Like, when they go to check in on the mayor and she's immediately threatening to kill people. <laughs> oh, I thought that was I thought that was great. It is I fine. Think yeah. Her, yeah, and I think her over the top, like she is more extreme than Boba, and I think that that, that works. Boba yep. needs that kind of bad influence in his life as he's trying to be Mister Good Guy, Crime Lord, which doesn't really work. It's very much the oxymoron. Yeah. A uh, couple pieces of trivia for you: uh, How many youth bikers accompany Boba in the final chase sequence? Uh, was it five? It's four. Uh, okay. The four Power Rangers: green, red, blue, and yellow. No pink. No uh, pink ranger. No pink ranger. Which families took which districts under Bib Fortuna? Give me any one of them. Oh, I I don't I don't remember them saying any family names. Okay. So, the Trandoshans took the city center. I was going to say the Trandoshans. That would have been my guess. Okay. All right. Uh, but that's yeah, not a family name. Know? That's a species, right? No, that is a species. When they speak of families, they're speaking of crime families. Yeah. And so the the Trandoshan crime family would be essentially all the Trandoshans on Tatooine. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Uh, the Aqualish took the workers district and the Clutunians took the starport and the, the upper sprawl. Okay. And so the, these along with uh, the Nikto... Um, 
trying to think if, uh, yeah, that, those would be the main species, uh, the Weequay, that would be the main species that are part of Jabba's gangs. So uh, in particular, uh, I think from the, the trailer, they say you are all lieutenants under Jabba and they're speaking to these three families. So those, uh, the Aqualish, uh, the Trandoshans and the Clatoonians, they will be the ones that Boba is going to invite to a feast in pretty much the next episode. I well, think that can be slam dunk. I guess, but we've been saying that invite. we've been saying that since the beginning now. So like, it is kind of funny. We haven't had that scene yet from the trailer. True, but now he knows exactly who he needs to bring to the table. Yeah, literally, as as well as figuratively. Uh, and how many credits did the watermonger want from the water that was stolen from him? Uh, was it thirteen hundred? It was thirteen hundred. Yeah. Which contextually, Colin, just think about that. Think about uh, the fact that Chewbacca's uh, prize that Leia got from Java was thirty five thousand credits. Returning in Chewbacca. That was the bounty on Chewbacca. Yeah. And this is 1,300 credits. For some water. For some water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's He sucks for sure. Yeah. This guy is a punk. Yeah. And that five, like they say he's like charging like triple or four times what it would be. Bubba gives him 500 and basically tells him to be happy with that. And, so, and also lower your sounds, prices. Like you're not, you're not going to be yeah. making that much money ever again. Yeah. Wow. Which is just bonkers yeah uh and also it's like twenty thousand uh republic credits uh for like the ship um oh yeah to, to fix the ship in a phantom menace yeah uh to buy to buy a falcon it's i think i think it's twenty seven thousand credits to buy um uh Corelli and yt 1300 freighter yeah yeah and so like because remember like in yeah that is like contextually that is so much money in the Star Wars. Well, world. except for that, it's it's not that different from our own world uh, gouging for electricity yeah. or for phone service or for medical supplies or for housing or for any number of basic human rights that they can get away or with. Or in some countries, water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's absolutely bonkers. In some places, Coke is cheaper than water. But, yeah. Uh, not too much else to say about this. This was a Robert Rodriguez episode. Um, Makes Suits sense. Of Espa is the name. Um, I did really enjoy the training the Rancor sequence, or not training the Rancor, but meeting the Rancor. I thought that was definitely the best part of the episode, uh, along with, of course, the big fight with Black Santon. That was great. Uh, and I agree, the, probably the, the end really was a quite an anticlimactic ending to the episode. Uh, overall, it was not my favorite. It was probably my least favorite of the episodes yeah. thus far. Me too. And uh, one thing I was thinking of, and this is not a condemnation of the show and not saying I've been, I, I've been loving it so far. Um, but if you made me rank, we now have 19 live action episodes of Star Wars television. Um, I don't think any of the Book of Boba Fett episodes would be in my top 10. Um, no, I don't, definitely not. I don't know if, yeah, I don't think they'd maybe even be in, I don't, maybe one of them would be in like my top 12. Um, but it, it, it like, I really, and like, it makes me feel comfortable about my opinion on the Mandalorian that it's not, it wasn't just an overhyped love of this new medium of live action Star Wars television. Yeah. Uh, that, that story was and is incredible. It and rules. so I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm ex incredibly excited for that one to, to come back, of course. Uh, but this feels 
exactly like the Clone Wars merged with the Mandalorian, but about Boba Fett. Which isn't it bad. Feels, no, it, it feels like Star Wars television yep. in, in, a, in a really good way. And I think this is maybe what we can expect more out of a lot of different, like the Mandalorian is something truly special uh, and something that is going to be kind of the, the epicenter of a lot of different shows in, in that era. And so it's going to have a lot of major events. But I wonder if we'll be saying this by the end of the season of Book of Boba Fett. And because when you consider the fact that maybe these last few episodes are going to be absolutely bonkers and then they'll be right up there with the last few episodes, because I would say if you looked at Mandalorian seasons seven and eight, sorry, episodes seven and eight of uh, seasons one and two in both cases were probably the best two episodes of each season. Yeah. Uh, and so if they're ending on the high, then that's what we can expect with Book of Boba Fett. And if this is the low for Book of Boba Fett, then that's also pretty damn good. So that makes me really excited about what's to come in the show. It's it's likely just really setting up the the stakes. I, and I feel that this episode will be looked back on as one that was, oh, that one really was setting up the domino display more than we realized. And that's fine. It's just less and less are we living in a world where weekly episodic releases are a thing that we have to... Uh, uh, relinquish to you know and so like mm. it, these episodes that just serve as the setup for the big episode that's coming they're much more palatable when we're binging a show which we're just not able to do with Boba Fett and that's fine because this is uh, at every bit as valid of a way of consuming entertainment having said that I predict by the end of this season at least one episode from the book of Boba Fett will be in that top 10 mention you mentioned because they're they're oh, yeah. definitely going to save some of their best tricks towards the end yeah I, I would completely agree and i'm i am expecting that and uh, based on some of the the rumors out there it, it wouldn't surprise me if something was able to to creep up that high just from um just and but also they've been setting up a, a really great world and this is maybe the most thematically specific star wars we've ever received they're going really into the the gangster uh, mafiosa style story, whereas yep. other than your hero's journey, I don't know if anything in Star Wars has had truly as specific of a genre as this. And so that is that's another interesting angle that we uh, may be getting more of in the way that they describe the acolyte uh, as being kind of a mystery thriller and the way they describe um, and or as being uh, kind of a spy thriller. So maybe they really are leaning into these genres a bit more and, and uh, that will uh, just mean so much more possibility. They've had a lot of success doing that with Marvel and I know it's not exactly the same playbook, but we've talked before about how we'd like to see genre play a bigger role in individual Star Wars storytelling. And so I think I think that's fine, especially if Book of Boba Fett is a sign of what's to come. Uh, yeah, because it hasn't compromised the DNA of Star Wars. No, either. exactly. It's just enhanced yes. it in terms of focusing on family and morality and decision making and knowing right from wrong, but still being a cool gangster show. So, <laughs> Anything in the news you wanted to bring up this week? Really not much uh, at all, uh, other than um, there's been reduced audience demand for uh, Book Boba Fett compared to Mandalorian. So the ratings are a little bit lower. No surprise um, there. 
yeah, which which isn't a, a crazy surprise. Let me see. I think I saw the number. Um, Again, there's no Grogu. There's, like that is a huge factor. Yeah, that's going to absolutely bring people bring in a new audience of people who don't even like Star Wars. They just like the concept of something that's cute. And there's nothing wrong with that either, because nope. then that gets people to like Star Wars. Uh, Dave Filoni uh, co-wrote Chapter Six of okay. Book Boba Fett. That's cool. So that means there's going to be something very lore heavy in yeah. that. My guess is so that that is exciting. Uh, and lends further credit to the potential of their beings and tricks up their sleeve for later in the series. Uh, and uh, Mandalorian season three is filming and uh, appears to be not, I don't know, not to put in too much uh, issue due to uh, the pandemic and uh, isn't being delayed uh, or incapable of filming at the moment. So, I mean, they were do they were able to do it with season two, weren't they? Or was that already shot before the pandemic started? Uh, no, that was shot during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. We've been in this thing for a long, but long time. Absolutely. Just in terms of the fact that it was, I think, starting right around now and because of all the other different things. It's yeah. Uh, remind me, did you mention off mic to me some kind of casting rumor? Oh, I did hear uh, a rumor that who knows if it's got any valid validity to it, but it could uh, that uh, potentially. And I think I mentioned this in the show that there could be we we've we've discussed the potential deep faking of a young Han in the book of Boba Fett. Well, we have, but that is the thing you brought up to me the other day. Yeah. Yeah. And that potentially uh, rumored to maybe appear alongside a young Han could be Mass Kanata as right. well. Is that what right. you were getting? That at? is, that is what I was thinking. Yeah. And, and yeah, I would like to see some more Mass Kanata because like, obviously they made, queen. made her seem like this really interesting, uh, historic figure when they introduced her and then they did nothing with her for the rest of that trilogy. And so obviously if she's been around so long, it's silly that we don't get to see her in other stories. And if she's the pirate queen, yeah, let's bring her into the show about outlaws. Yeah. It just makes a ton of sense. And yeah. also considering Han's uh, long relationship with Maz, if Han does appear, then that would certainly make sense for them to be out on some uh, harebrained adventure together. So they deep fake, a young Harrison Ford like or like who would they well there's rumors going around uh that yes that is what they're doing and my belief is that that's been the intention that they are doing it for Indy 5 right and that because they have the technology they've hired the people for it they've been they have a track record of it and also because of his age and the ability to be able to do more if you can kind of do some flashbacks I think that they have probably a handful of sequences in Indy five where he's younger. And that gave Lucasfilm the idea, wait a minute, let's get a little bit of a redemption going on solo because in their mind, solo was a failure. Uh, and let's give kind of a, another young Han a go if we can, after we just did the same thing uh, with Luke and Leia in Rogue One and Mandalorian. Now I'm fine with it. I, I, I'm just always thinking of how, it's going to be responded to. And I think in particular, because last year we deep faked in a young Luke and a couple of years ago, we deep faked in a young Leia. Uh, and obviously the technology has been used elsewhere too. We do it then with Han, then you've got the Holy Triumvirate of Star Wars heroes brought back into some kind of later Star Wars. And it just seems to me the common response is going to be, oh, this is what they do in the show now. Like this is, this is their trick. It's not even up their sleeve. We see it coming from a mile away. 
they they bring in old faces and they expect to excite us? Uh, yes and no. Uh, it, it'll be done better because of who True. they've brought in. True. And so that's one thing that's really cool because it would be it would be the first deep fake as opposed to CGI. Yeah. Uh, but in that same vein, there's nobody else left after that. There's is the holy trifecta mm-hmm. and we're getting Obi-Wan and that's the return of Ewan McGregor and we'll probably see Qui-Gon and we're going to see Hayden Christensen as Anakin and uh, when we get the Ahsoka show and literally the only character left the the only major character left that hasn't had a return is Padme uh, yeah, true. and then we've pretty much checked every major character box in terms of giving them some other swan song and so I don't think that trick is really up their sleeve to do anymore. I think they'll have to excite us in new ways beyond that point. Maybe Mace Windu is another one that they would have up their sleeve. I don't know if yeah. there's any other characters uh, that they could pull that off with that anyone would like someone like Kira. That's not like it up your sleeve. That's no, no, just that's make, that just makes sense. Yeah, that's different. Um, but I don't think there's anybody else who's uh, a big old uh, big big slice a fan service uh, that is the trick that up their sleeves. I don't think they're ever going to touch Padme again. I think no, she, I don't I think, think she's so over. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it wouldn't make sense. There's no logic to it. I mean, I would be totally in favor of it for a very, very small sequence in Kenobi. And I think it actually could work if you're doing a, a, a very small dream sequence uh, of Vader in his meditation chamber, get Natalie Portman to record a couple new lines um you can do a a small like imagery of because i mean he has that kind of imagery in revenge of the sith and so you could do something similar to that uh but yeah i agree there's there is that story is wrapped up there's nothing else to tell there uh is that it for news that's it there's nothing really much in the news because everything is uh all eyes are on uh, book of boba uh, I want to say happy birthday this coming Friday, January 14th to Lawrence Kasdan and uh, next Monday, January 17th, a happy birthday to Kelly Marie Tran and also James Earl Jones. So some heavy hitters in the birthdays this week. Uh, if you want to be caught up to where we are by next week's podcast, make sure you've watched uh, chapter four of the book of Boba Fett, which comes out on Wednesday. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts about our thoughts on chapter three or book of Boba Fett or Star Wars in general, of course, you can always Tweet us at Recorder66 or email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review our podcast on your preferred podcast app. That helps us to be found by other Star Wars fans. And if you're joining us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. And until we are together again, may the Force be with you.